Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 136 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Michael. And I am Anthony. And we are happy to be with you for another week of the, actually the final week of the Big Box Beers and Bible Big Box Bash. There it is. There you go. Finally got it the last week (laughs) and I still messed it up on the front end. Um, The final week of the big box bash here uh, last week we had a uh, blue moon moving on and uh it's the finale of this tournament thing tonight it's the so final countdown Do-do-do-do. sorry <laughs> i think there may be a copyright thing to anyway it doesn't matter no, um, if you air guitar it you you're you get to pass copyright so i air guitar that okay well <laughs> that's a rule to- i heard i heard that was a rule you read that rule on the internet. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln told me. <laughs> well, you have to post the video of you doing the air guitar for context. So okay, I'll do um, that. So tonight <laughs> in the finale, the final matchup of the big box bash, we have the blue moon, Belgian white going up against the angry orchard, hard cider mm-hmm. um, caveat. You could argue that blue moon is the best big box beer mm-hmm. because angry orchard is technically a cider. It is, but it was on the list. So and it and, got, and it beat whatever it was up against in the voting right. round. So, I mean, we're kind of handcuffed here. So, um, I mean, isn't a cider just another type of beer, like an ale or a pilsner? I honestly don't know. I've always kind of looked at ciders as almost like the childish. Is it like the beer? mix between Zima and real beer? <laughs> I don't know what Zima is, so. Oh, you don't. Oh man, you don't know Zima. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Smirnoff Ice, like Smirnoff Ice, is a Zima. Oh, okay. Those. Oh, okay. So, like the Mike's Hard Lemonade. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a, like I think the I think Angry Orchard's a step up from those. That's what I'm saying. It's like a mix between actual beer and those. No, no, I think it's just like, <laughs> I think it's like a maybe a whole floor up from those. I don't know, not a, just a step. I don't know. So. Anyway, tonight we're going to have Blue Moon going up against Angry Orchard. Mm-hmm. Anthony and I have already kind of discussed how we feel about both of these. The, the end might be predestined. We'll just say it that way. <laughs> Somewhere non-Calvinists are going, no! Oh, man. So um, I think we should go with the Blue Moon first just Let's- because, like you said, I think it's predestined. Um <laughs> So Blue Moon, um, if we seem a little like oh, what's the, the word? <laughs> if we seem a little off the cuff, it's because this is the second episode being recorded in three days. Yes, it because is because of some scheduling things. So yep. that's what's going on here. So uh Blue Moon 5.4 ABV is a Belgian style wheat. Um 
It is brewed in Golden, Colorado, and uh, it's, uh, just your, it's that that orange peel flavor the that gives peel. it that gives it the uh, little was it Valencia oranges? Is that Valencia what it is? oranges? Yep. So um, I'm drinking from a can. Anthony's got a bottle, bottle. Um, and we were just talking about it. It's a twist off bottle, so it's, I think that's that's points deducted for Blue Moon minus point two five points for Blue Moon. So. Not that it's going to matter any. Okay, so let's crack these <laughs> things open and remind ourselves what they taste like. So here we go. Three, two, one, crack. It doesn't pop when you twist it off. I will say that. Well, it's because you're not popping it, you're twisting it. That's true. But it like it doesn't like normal. So um, I'll go ahead and say say this before the tournament. You can go ahead and drink if you want to. Okay. Before the tournament, um, I was not a huge fan of Blue Moon in general. And it's grown on me substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't call it a go-to by any stretch, but if it was in a cooler, I wouldn't be upset about it. So this is again totally off the cuff. We, you know how like when you do tournaments and things, like you give away other prizes so that everybody feels like a winner. Mm-hmm. So I think Blue Moon could probably get like most improved beer. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely to succeed. Most likely to succeed. <laughs> no, hey, I think uh, if we're gonna do if we're gonna do superlatives like that, um, I think the most surprising beer should go to Guinness for me. Yes, I've gone I, back. I would. I've, yes, I've gone back to Guinness. Um, nice. and had it a couple of times. So, Blue Moon look good, but your the flavor is not as strong. Like, okay, it's brewed with orange peel. I would almost want more orange flavor from the beer itself Mm -hmm. and i know you've said like on draft it served with the orange slice and that's that enhances the flavor yeah it does um but by itself it's just not as strong it's still good like we were on vacation last week and i had some of these in the cooler and i drank them because they were in the cooler because they were there yep i also had a i also had a case of yingling and enjoyed that (laughs) much more just saying so here, here's a fun little story about like, okay, flavor in beer. So my buddy, Steve, who is on the podcast with us um, mm-hmm. several mm-hmm. episodes ago, Steve, he brews his own beer mm-hmm. and uh, we were having a guy's night over at a friend's house and and he came over and he actually brought some beer that he had brewed mm-hmm. and it was an IPA. And, and so he was like, he got it all out and he's like, you want one? I was like, bro, you know how I feel about IPAs. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, man, I know how you feel, but if you'll just try it. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. I was like, I'll definitely try it because you brewed it and it's your beer. So I'll try it and I'll, and I'll tell you what I think. So I tried it and it had a, a peachy flavor. I don't know what hops he mm-hmm. used or what combination he used, but I saw, I was like, I was like, man, this has a real like peachy flavor to it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, the, the hops that I use would give it that. And I was like, it's actually not that bad. It's actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah. And I told him there's uh so there's like one IPA that I actually like and will actually drink. And that's the no slaw, which mm-hmm. is the, the lemonade IPA from uh, yeah. Paris Brewery. So I told him, I was like, I was like, man, this actually reminds me of like a peach version of the mm-hmm. no slaw, which is lemon. It's like a lemon yeah. flavor. Yeah. And so I was like, I was like, I would actually drink this because it's pretty good. And I was like, I still get the like the IPA bitterness. It was there. Like he brewed it and it was definitely an IPA and it tasted, it had the aftertaste of an IPA. But the original, like the initial flavor that he gave it was really good. It was a peachy. I hmm. feel like if Blue Moon would just put a little bit more orange mm-hmm. in their beer, it would be a whole lot better than it is. 
Yeah. And, and it's still not bad. It's still pretty good, but I agree with you. I think it's, there needs to be more of that orange flavor. Yeah. Um, now again, they don't advertise that it's like an apple cider or an orange cider or anything like the angry orchard is definitely apple. Like, yeah. you know, it's apple because that's all you taste when you drink it. <laughs> um, but the blue it's moon literally apple juice. Yeah. But the blue moon ha- is, you know, brewed with the Valencia orange peel is on the can or the bottle and, but it's not mm-hmm. as dominant of a flavor. Um, yeah. Funny story about that. What Steve was just telling you about, he was, he messaged me <laughs> about y'all's get together and was like, Anthony's going to be here and he may actually drink some. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. I don't know if you're telling me to make me want to come down there or <laughs> it's a long drive that I just made the other way. So anyway, uh, blue moon, it's a good, it's a three good, Luther beer. It's a three, three and a half Luther beer for us. Yeah. Um, and like I said before, I think this, the results of this may have been rigged a little bit, but <laughs> they they weren't rigged. They were predestined. <laughs> well, predestined. We'll, be, uh, we'll to be rigged. We'll, <laughs> predestined <laughs> to be rigged. Yes. Uh, but we'll still drink the angry orchard here in a second. Yeah, we will. Blue moon is good. Blue moon is good. So. Well, let's, if, uh, if Yingling wasn't available, I would not be upset with about having Blue Moon. No, no, I would it that way. My mom likes Blue Moon, so my wife does. Maybe it's a girl thing. Yeah. All right, let's get says, on to the Angry Orchard. Maybe it's a girl thing. Says the two men who are about to have <laughs> Angry Orchard beat out Blue Moon. Okay, true story. <laughs> Here we go. Three, two, one, crack. Dang it. One day I'm gonna crack open a bottle and not have a problem getting it out. <laughs> All right, so Angry Orchard, uh, five percent ABV, brewed in. Where are they brewed? Or bottled in Walden, New York. Yeah, Walden, New York. There's two apples in every bottle, so. You could visit the orchard. I want to visit the orchard. Is it angry? Road trip. <laughs> we're going. Hey, Here's we're gonna be in, we're gonna be in Danville on November third and fourth. We could just keep driving. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that kind of time. Okay, so angry I orchard. Uh, I, I we we don't have to, but we're but we're going to. So bottoms, bottoms up. up. No, yeah, clear winner. I mean, a home run out of the park. The 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 flavor to me is what puts this one over the top. Yeah, it's distinctly what it claims to be, mm. and it's smooth. It's not. You're not missing anything. There's nothing there that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And it's. I mean, it's dadgum delicious. It's it. <laughs> like you said when we reviewed it the first time, you could have this with breakfast. Yes, you could. And I might. <laughs> if you On do Saturday, there, there may need to be an intervention. If you start having an angry orchard at breakfast, I would only do it once and it would be on Saturday. Jeez. So me, trying to give me a bad rap around here. So I already have one. <laughs> on its so own. we said blue moons, a three, three and a half Luther beer. 
Anthony and I disagree on Angry Orchard. He's you said well, like four, four and a half. I I say it's a four and a half. It's not it, quite a five for me. I mean, I th- it's I good. Think for, I think for me, it's the nostalgia of when I first started drinking. Like mm-hmm. I remember just being like, "This is going to sound really, really bad," but I felt like a bad boy drinking Angry Orchard. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, you're, I know you're now, hiding it. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> no one can know that I'm drinking Angry Orchard. Um, no, but it, I mean, to me, it's to me, it's a four and a half or five. And um, I think it's the clear winner of the Beers and Bible Big Box Bash. I do, too. I would concur. Um, no need to bring out the secret plan because there are no spoilers here. Um, but if we so we said we were going to talk about the secret plan. Mm-hmm. If we had a tie, if Michael and I actually disagreed on which one would win. Mm-hmm. Um, we were basically going to do what we did at the very beginning, which is throw yep. it up on Instagram and let you guys pick the winner for us. Yep. So, so if, if you think we got any of the matchups wrong, we'd love to hear you. We'd love yes, to hear we that. Would. You can <laughs> add us at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com or all of our social media handles. Yeah. We'll tell you where you can uh, voice your displeasure with our findings um, at the end of the episode here, but angry orchard getting the win over blue moon in the probably first and only beers and Bible mm-hmm. big box bash. Yep. I was thinking about it. The only thing I wish we'd done differently is put the like beers together. Yeah. So like Modelo and Corona could have gone against each other. The IPAs could have gone against each other. Mm-hmm. These would have gone against each other early because um, they're fruit. But, yeah, but the fruit, then an the IPA would have moved into the second round and we couldn't have had that. Yeah, we would, <laughs> we would have been like, you know what? We're just going to eliminate both of these and... <laughs> It's no. a tie. They both lose. And so they're yeah. both getting kicked out. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's it. The big box bash is over. We are done. And next week we'll, we will return to our uh, old ways. Of regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll be finding our beers on our own. And if you have any suggestions, um, we'll tell you where you can send those to Please us, tell us now at, as well <laughs> at the end of the podcast. So there you have it. Angry Orchard winning the big box bash. And uh, we're going to move on to our discussion tonight. We are going to uh, keep on trucking through the book by book study of the Bible. We are getting into the book of Judges tonight. Oh, it's going to get good tonight. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about this one. So um, stick around and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the book of Judges. We're going to talk about Judges tonight. But before we dive into the book of Judges, um, quick plug. Uh, We've got coming up November 3rd and 4th, the RFP camp meeting slash conference for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Danville, Virginia. Hope Church is the location. The cost is $50. You can go to the Recovering Fundamentalist website, which is recoveringfundamentalist.org. To register for that we would love to see you guys there we want you to join us we're going to be there um 
And so it's 50 bucks and that covers the cost of the conference, uh, food and travel and all that's on your own. But uh, man, it is uh, it would be a lot of fun. The so let's see here. This is August. This will come out on August 8th. Registration would have been open for about a week. No, August like 12th or something. Registration would be open for about a week and a half. So make sure you go sign up and get your spot. And uh, hopefully we will get to see you in Danville, Virginia, for the conference for the sake of the gospel. Yep. Anthony and I uh, are both planning to be there and be a part of that. And we look forward to, yeah, we look forward to meeting up with anyone and everyone that wants to be there. If you're part of the Beers and Bible fam, then we would encourage you to bring a, um, a something to lift a fragrant aroma to the Lord, a.k.a. a cigar I'm, or a I'm pipe. About, I'm about to say, why don't you just say it? No, <laughs> no. Why are you beating around the bush? Just say it. Uh, and we someone's, will find a place. Someone's just going to show up with essential oils. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I brought my oils. Isn't that what y'all said to bring? No, no, that's not what we said to bring. <laughs> um, we'll find yeah, somewhere we a, can we can sit around and discuss things. That's right. We can talk about God. We can uh, drink a couple of beers, and we can enjoy a pipe or a cigar. I personally enjoy pipes, so I'll have mine with me. Um, but yeah, we'd love to see you in Danville. So uh, join us there November 3rd and 4th. Hope Church Conference for the sake of the gospel with the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Um, as you so, were yeah. as you were saying that, it reminded me of a country song. So, uh, the the line is uh, "Sitting here drinking beer, talking God." Amen. There you go. We're going to do all those things. I think that's what we're going to do. Maybe not as part of the conference officially, but <laughs> I don't think they we'll could have advertise a side that. conference. I don't think they could have. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember our smoking breaks when we <laughs> back in the day back in the day yep we call them staff meetings mm-hmm. that was amazing yes. i think of those every time someone says i have a staff meeting i was like do you we had staff meetings they were can, fun can i be a part of it okay so oh, let's get man. into judges because we can, we're giving away too much we gotta quit talking <laughs> yeah people are already way past that so all right true story all right judges. So let's move into let's judges <laughs> let's move into judges <laughs> Um, the book of judges is a very interesting book. Um, there's a lot of fun things that happen. It's a largely narrative. Um, and it follows the period of time from the end of Joshua, uh, Joshua's death all the way up to, um, the Kings and the Chronicles. So the, uh, the introduction of Kings in the nation of Israel. Um, so it's about a period of 300 years or so in this Mm -hmm. time of, of judges, uh, they're living in the promised land and they're still trying to drive out the the people who were there. Partially, it's the Canaanites and some some other groups. Um, but when you think about judges in in our Western context, we always think about like I think you know we think black robes and gavels and like gaveling down and order in the court. You know that kind of stuff is I, is what we think of. I think of the movie My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> That's great. That that guy. Oh man, Judge. my cousin. <laughs> but uh, instead of thinking like a a black robe person with a gavel, and they're you know you got a plaintiff and a defendant, think of more more long lines of like a spiritual leader who is raised up by the Spirit of God, and they're called to lead Israel back from idolatry. They're mm-hmm. they're pulling Israel back, and that this is typically done through some type of military victory. Uh, okay, throughout the Book of Judges. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is more like a military leader um, 
And what you'll see, and they, they call this uh, the Deuteronomic cycle, which we're going to talk talk about here in just a little bit. Um, but the Deuteronomic cycle essentially is like uh, Israel repents, God gives them victory, Israel goes back to doing what they did before. Repeat. Israel repents, Israel, you know. Um, and so as they keep doing this, they're going to end up in this spiraling effect uh, where they're just getting, they're almost getting worse and worse and worse. And, and you see it really played out in the book of Judges. Yeah. Um, so just a couple of reminders, the conquest from the book of Joshua is not a total conquest like they were instructed to do, uh, with, uh, with the land of Canaan. And so there's this, there's a strain because of this, there's, uh, the strain within the nation. There's intertribal strife, um, is, is, I guess, I think the way a couple of authors have put it before where, Mm -hmm you have different tribes kind of fighting with each other and that kind of leads to more and more problems yeah. uh, down the road. So, but in spite of their habitual failure, in spite of their, their problematic spiral that they're on, God continually comes through and God continually rescues them because he is a faithful God and, and he made a promise to his people and he's going to uphold that promise. Yeah. Um, and so even though God rescues uh, the nation continually, they continue in a downward spiral of idolatry, which eventually is going to lead to them wanting a king and 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 really and truly needing a good king to lead them. To, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. to essentially tell them what to do. Yeah, and mm-hmm. is where they they find themselves, and that's where you end up with. Um, you get through Samuel, and then you get into Kings, and mm-hmm. you start in, you start having the kings, and you have good kings and bad kings, and yeah. and and so. Framing all of that, that's kind of like a, a rough little little layout of the structure, the things mm-hmm. that are happening. Um, so so let's take just a minute. Let's just talk about how we can read judges to better understand the context and some advice that we're going to have to to kind of walk through this text that we that we have before us. Yeah. So to get um, kind of a, a- general idea of what's going on here so here are some focal points that we that we would like to just spend a little bit of time on um like anthony already pointed out judges were typically military leaders who god raised up to deliver israel um in that cycle they're coming out of the repentance Mm -hmm. going into military victory someone has to lead the nation israel into that military victory Mm -hmm. that's who these judges are um again like Anthony already talked about, a lot of times there's intertribal strife that the judges have to deal with, and mm-hmm. and how they navigate that is is a is a focal point as well. Um, and in something else here too is that even though the chronological language chronological language is used to further the narrative throughout the book, the stories are not necessarily in any kind of chronological order. Mm-hmm. Um, the point is not as much about the timeline as it is the overall picture of the idolatry of Israel yeah. and the effect it has on the nation, that spiraling effect that you've talked about already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, when you look at the chronological significance, um, you see that through the succeeding of the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, the first three judges are the are essentially positive. Um, you have Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah. Those are yep. the three <clears throat> positive ones. And then you see change is starting to happen with Gideon. Um, and we'll get into that here in a second. Um, and then some examples of poor leaders are uh, Jephthah and Samson. 
mm-hmm. these are these are poor leaders that God uses in spite of themselves. Yeah. And and they're saying throughout the book of Judges that um they go like again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. So even though the nation of Israel is doing evil, God is still working out his plan according to his purpose, because that's who he is. That's, that's how God operates. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite all of this, despite the transition of from good to bad, from good grief, sorry. <laughs> the cider is kicking. It is. So, um, but despite all of this, from the good, from the bad, from idolatry, repentance, victory, mm-hmm. idolatry, the the whole cycle over and over again, despite all of this, God is continually showing his mercy yeah. by caring for his people and delivering them. Um, it's interesting to note the lack of God's presence within the midst of his people. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to talk about. Let's sit on that for a second. Yeah. So a lot of times you'll you'll see throughout uh, the the narratives that there's not a lot of mention about God's presence being with his people. Think think about through um, the wandering times in the Exodus and really into mm-hmm. Leviticus and, and a lot of Deuteronomy. You have this, you know, uh, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You know, you have the tabernacle. You have um, the um, was it the ark, the ark and the holy of holies. I mean, there's, there's a lot all of, of these things that signify that God is with them. There's a lot of language that indicates that Israel is acknowledging God is the one leading them through the wilderness. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And once they get into the land and they're there, they it's almost like they put those things aside. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we're here. We don't need this anymore. We don't need the tabernacle. We don't need the ark. We don't these things that signify the presence of God. So what you have in Judges is this it's you could make the the statement that it's an argument from silence that you're saying that it's not there but the reality is the bible doesn't mention it so it's not really an argument from silence it's just saying the bible is not pointing out like it had before yeah that the presence of god is with him so there is something to that yeah you know it's it's made it a point exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy it's made it a point to n- notate that God is with his people all the way through the wandering in the wilderness. He stayed with them. He protected them. The The same amount of people that went into the wilderness went into the promised land with the exception of, you know, like Moses and a couple of other elders, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some, some elders. So, but the nation as a whole, as they came out of Egypt, realistically, they went into the promised land that same yeah. way. And so, yeah you see God's faithfulness. And then as they get into the land and they start this cycle, they they call it the Deuteronomic cycle. As they start this cycle um, and this spiral out of control, God's presence leaves them. And I think really and truly, this is a warning for Christians today to, to watch, watch yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, the saying is check yourself before you wreck yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, as Christians, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. But what it does mean is that if you live your life in a worldly manner, guess what? Chances are that you're not of God. Yeah. I have a question and, you know, forgive me if this is from like, if this is a out of place question or whatever. 
mm-hmm. but thinking historic as a as someone who has studied history in the past and just thinking of it that way who wrote the book of judges or do we know and is it someone different than who wrote the first five books so because there's if it's, a- because if it's somebody different it may make sense that their perspective may not be the same as who wrote the first five books yeah, it's definitely Moses, uh, I think, is the most popularly accepted author of the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have you have Moses. There are some other theories. You got the JDEP theory um, and a couple of other ones um, that are not really as popular. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to look here just real quick. I don't think we know. You yeah, probably don't. definitely it's, not a named author. And I was looking to see if there was any kind of speculation here on a couple of these notes. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to play like yeah. not, not necessarily devil's advocate, but just saying like maybe the whoever wrote judges is looking at it from a different perspective. Maybe they're looking at it from maybe they're not part of the nation of Israel. So they, they're they're not recognizing. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm, that's I, total speculation. I, I'm yeah. just I'm just throwing I would say, something against the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, but. the the person who wrote Judges, the author of Judges, I would say has to be within the nation of Israel because mm-hmm. I think just the details of Judges alone that's fair. gives it gives you enough to like. I mean, there's just certain things that your family's going to know about you that not everybody else is going to know. That's fair. And so I think some of those types of details are in Judges to say that it was a person who is in the the nation. Um, who it might be. I mean, all of that is speculation. And yeah. so it could be a priest. It could be um, another judge. I mean, it could be a judge or it could just be a historian recording what happens. This is what happened. And this yeah. is what, ha- because a lot of the, the beginnings of Israel's history is oral tradition. And we're actually going to mm-hmm. get into that a little bit. Yeah. When we talk about Gideon um, and we'll start, we're going to asterisk that and come to that because it was an oral tradition really from the beginning. And so it, it relied on the parents teaching their children the ways of God yeah. and they teaching them the law and teaching them, you know, the Pentateuch and, and so teaching them the miracles that God did throughout exactly. the history of the nation. Yeah. And so they would remember, you know, that's why you built altars. That's why you built memorials and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know who wrote it, and but I do think that it was somebody who was intimately involved with the details of what happened yeah. within the nation of Israel. Okay, um, I, so I, I'm just thinking like, not like I said, not playing devil's advocate by any means, but like mm-hmm. if somebody is looking at it from a completely different perspective, which it sounds like it would be because it's not Moses because he's dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> so definitely not Moses. <laughs> you know, Moses who wrote the first five books isn't going to be writing judges, obviously. So no, um, but okay. Question answered. All right. So there back, you go. So back, let's, to, back to our, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So let's, uh, let's take just a minute because, you know, we're, we're going to mention a few of the kind of high point, judges but i think it's important to note that there are more than there's a total of 12 judges in all mm-hmm. um not all of the judges are mentioned uh in the book um and and in fact you know it kind of groups them together and it's like oh there was this guy and he did this 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 and this and this and then there was these other two guys so on to this next guy you know and like it's literally just like a passing passing yeah. glance but it, that's where it's kind of uh we talked a little bit earlier about the chronology or the chronological order that's where 
the chronological order is not as important as the story, the narrative that the author is trying to tell, which is to portray Israel as a nation who is spiraling away from God. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's and, got it's got more to do with like the order of. Gosh, I don't even have, I don't even know how to put it, but it sounds like it's got more to do with like the order of the. I don't want to say the spiraling because that would sound like chronological. Yeah, it's it's more along the lines of just telling the story of Israel's cycle of they forget, they mm. worship idols, and yeah. then they are somebody is raised up and they're called to repentance. Yeah. And then each story kind of it 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 doesn't build on the previous story, but it shows a different aspect than the previous story. And so you're you're looking at a bunch of different aspects mm-hmm. of really the same story that paint a picture of Israel spiraling out of control. Yeah. Okay. Versus, you know, this judge lived and he, he had this victory and then that judge died. And then this judge lived and he had this victory and then that judge died and this judge lived and he, it's, it's more, not so much it, about it's genealogy. More, yeah. It's more narrative and not historical. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Which we've um, already talked about and we're discussing again. So. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know the the goal here is to paint to point out from the author that Israel has lost their way they've lost their primary identity and mm. only god in his mercy can bring order to the chaos that they have yeah. created um that was kind of that's that's like a paraphrased version of of a quote from the book in on on reading the bible book by book so mm-hmm. um you'll recognize that but but that's really um that's what the story of judges is painting. And so yeah. as we think about this story, let's walk through verses, you know, let's walk through these chapters and kind of talk about the story as it develops throughout the book. So let's walk through uh, the book of judges here. Um, so the first two chapters and the first few verses of chapter three um, is going to be the introduction to the book. We're setting mm-hmm. up the main themes that are going to be prevalent throughout the bulk of judges Um, we're setting up the recurring theme of what we'll see throughout Israel falls. God calls a leader, Israel repents, and then they do it all over again. Um, (laughs) Yep. Repeat, repeat, (laughs) repeat. Um, the main probably focal narrative here is the failure to destroy the Canaanites. Mm -hmm. That's pretty prevalent in the first two chapters of judges. Um, God called Israel to destroy them and Israel couldn't do it or wouldn't do oh, they it. they didn't do it and they didn't do it so um, and they suffered the consequences because yeah, of it <laughs> yeah and then the pattern that we just talked about um gets established from uh basically chapter two verse six through chapter three verse six yeah so uh the the author are fee and Stuart um they pointed out this cycle on, and I think it's interesting to kind of point out the cycle that they talk about this is that deuteronomic cycle that we've really been been Mm-hmm. talking about here and so i'm just going to give they give these four points and so number one is israel does evil in the sight of yahweh by serving canaanite bells they worship an idol um you can see that in 2 11 through 13 and then they experience at god's anger um in the form of typically a failure in some type of battle um and then they're oppressed by their enemies and then that causes them to crowd and distress this is part three um, and God rescues them because they crowd in distress uh, and they send, he sends a judge slash deliver. This is that military 
mm-hmm. judge that we've talked about. Um, yeah. And then once the judge dies, the cycle starts over. Um, so this is this is the Deuteronomic cycle that that we're going to see and that we're really going to talk about here in just a minute as we go through each one of the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not, we're not going to hit all of them because, like I said earlier, not all of them have a story. Only a few of them do. Right. And so we're going to hit the ones that have story and then kind of tie it to the rest of them. But mm-hmm. that cycle, uh, remember that cycle that we just talked about because you're going to see that over and over and over as we walk through these judges in the next. Um, really like 13, almost 14 chapters that we cover um, talking about judges. So, yeah. Who's the first judge? Uh, Othniel. 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 He is the judge in chapter three, uh, verses seven through 11. And God sends him as the hand of peace against the Arameans. Mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. Good job. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah. Here we go. Um, and then, uh, then we move. I mean, it, and that is how quickly it's like four verses. Here's the story, and then we're into the next, yeah, the next, next one. Guy. So next guy. So uh, moving Ehud, along. <laughs> yeah. So Ehud and Shamgar are the next judges in chapter three. Um, Ehud kills the fat Moabite king, um, but even this lone victory is credited to God, um, mm-hmm. as it should be, because God is the source of all victory. Ehud. Um, Ehud is the story that fifth grade boys love to read, because it's literally so. If if you've never read the story of Ehud, I hope you read it uh, in in this study. But Ehud was a left-handed man, and Ehud is the guy who plunged the sword into the king of um, oh who is it? I forgot the king's name, but anyway, uh, he was obesely overweight, and he got him while he was relieving himself in his chamber. Mm. Do with that what you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ehud was a left-handed man, and he plunged the sword into his gut, and he it says that he was so fat that he lost his sword in his gut, and so he basically let it go and ran away. <laughs> but that's how the guy died, and the guy, the the servants show up like two or three days later, and they find that he's dead, and mm-hmm. But, you know, I always thought it was funny that, you know, Ehud killed the king while he was relieving himself in the cool of his chamber. So, yeah, (laughs) again, Uh, fifth grade boy stuff here. (laughs) Well, that 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 fits for us. So um, fair point. (laughs) So the next judge, the next judge is an interesting one, I think. So we have Deborah in chapters four and five here. So this is a female judge um, who is also called a prophetess. Yeah. And we. On our RFP episode, talked about uh, men and Deborah. women in leadership and mm-hmm. pastoral roles and stuff like that. So here's an Old Testament example of a woman judging the nation of Israel. <laughs> um, so she tells leading the nation of yeah. Israel in military conquest. <laughs> yes. So, um, but so uh, Deborah's a female judge. She she tells Barak, who is another. Um, what is Barak? He's just a player. They don't really say that he's a judge, um, but she goes to not really. Okay. Um, she goes to him and she's like, "Hey, this is what God has said that you need to do." Mm -hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, um, about that. How about no? How about we find another way to do that?" And she's like, "No." Um, and because of your lack of faith. You're still going to do it, mm-hmm. but guess what? A woman's going to get all the glory. Mm. 
Yeah. And and so because of uh, the cowardice of a man, you see Deborah and um oh who is it? Is it Cicera? No, Cicera is the king. But anyway, you see you see a woman getting the glory for the military victory that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that and that's countercultural to yeah, Old Testament and really all throughout scripture, yeah. honestly. Very patriarchal society in these days. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, but yeah, Deborah gets praised for a victory. Um, then we move on to Gideon, Tola, and Jer mm-hmm. in the next four chapter in the next four chapters of Judges through uh yeah, basically chapter Which, 10. The majority of this is about Gideon. Mm-hmm. You know, Tola and Jer are kind of like again, they're they're passing comments at the end yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Gideon, you know, Gideon is the guy who um God basically tells him he's going to he's gonna lead a military victory and Gideon's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to give me a sign. Uh, and then you have the story of like the, um, you end up, he, he says, I'm going to do it with a small number of people and Gideon's like, mm, help me out here. And so God basically gets it down to, I think it's the, the guys who lap, they take them to the river and it's the guys who lap water or scoop water with their hands versus like, lapping it out of the river. Like a dog. Yeah like a dog. And so mm-hmm. you have 300 guys. And so Gideon takes 300 men to defeat um, the, the nation that they're, that they're fighting, which is, let me find my notes, uh, the Midianites and the yeah. Amalekites. Yeah. And so Gideon destroyed, and this again, the Gideonite or the uh, Midianites and the Amalekites are tens of thousands of people. And Gideon goes with 300 men. Yeah. So you see, the hand of God, the miraculous hand of God leading them and guiding them. But you also see Gideon who's afraid and he wants a sign. Yeah. You know, and And I think it's, it's interesting because a lot of times in scripture where you have mm -hmm. people who ask for a sign, it shows, it displays a lack of faith on, on the part of that person. You know, there's, there's, there's a, a point where evidence is not the point. And, Evidence is good in a lot of times, but sometimes you have to go on something without any evidence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, think about Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the hope of things uh, seen, uh, the the confidence or the confidence of things not seen. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you have confidence in that you can't prove? Yeah. Through evidence. Yeah. Through rationality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you have when you have these these folks who want to point everything towards evidence. And, you know, they, they, they base all of their beliefs on something that can be evidenced. Yeah. You have to say, all right, man, well, what you're doing doesn't require any faith because you're only believing things that you can prove, or you can, you know, you can say, I have reasonable confidence to believe this because of evidence. Yeah. Part, part of the, part of the Christian walk is, is being okay with believing something you can't prove. Right. And, and having the faith strong enough that it doesn't shake you to your core exactly to not know exactly so that's, hmm. that's an interesting point there to to think yeah. about with yeah. gideon mm-hmm. so um so so after he wins that victory um israel demands that he becomes their king gideon to, and and mm-hmm. he refuses uh but gideon's king abimelech 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 his son his son is abimelech his son what did i say you said his king. Oh, I'm in his son. His son. His, your note says his son. So I just got king on the brain. So, uh, so his son Abimelech tries to make himself king, 
by killing almost all of his brothers. He killed all but one. And, and he, he had a total of how many? It says 70. 70. He killed 69 of his brothers. And then That's he, hardcore, and man. Then, but then Abimelech gets killed, is end up killed with a millstone around his neck. So which is fun. All that for, for nothing for him. <laughs> but he gets killed by a millstone around his neck by a nameless woman. Again, women keep showing up like with <laughs> powerful roles in the old testament. Stop it. Stop I mean, it. Just saying. Maybe there's something there. Okay, so uh, the next couple chapters we talk about Jephthah. I'm assuming Jephthah is the mm-hmm. main focal point. Um, yep. And then uh, Isben, Elon, and Abdon. Um, this is against the Ammonites. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where the spiral continues. Jephthah is only successful because God's spirit is with him, yep. um, which is usually the case anyway. Yep. Uh, Let me go back for just a second and, okay. and just kind of tie down from Gideon into Jephthah here. Mm-hmm. So you have Gideon and it's remember we talked earlier about the oral tradition and it's Gideon's job to teach the the people or I'm sorry it's it's Gideon's uh generation's job to teach mm-hmm. their children about the ways of God and in judges through the story of Gideon you find out that the generation after Gideon basically they start to not believe what God has done or they forget mm-hmm what God mm-hmm. has done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you forget, that's because you weren't taught it a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and so you see this, this, this is what the, the cycle is, is kind of exacerbated by mm-hmm. is the people quit teaching their children mm-hmm. about the ways of God and the law of God. Yeah. And because of that, you end up with Jephthah, who's basically this guy who's risen up, who doesn't really know anything. And God has to basically intervene and be like, all right, fine. I'll do this myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're the leader. You're, you're going to get it done, but I'm going to, I'm going to do all of this, all of the work myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you end up with that narrative. That's what that paints through the judges yeah. of Jephthah, Isbon, Elon, and Abdon. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's so true. Like, if a generation doesn't get taught how to, I think about my like people my age or maybe a little younger, maybe the last generation know how to drive a stick shift. Yeah, because no cars now are made with stick shifts. Yeah, I the love other, that meme. That's like I have my anti theft device right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but but if, if people don't know how to do something, then the next generation is not going to learn how to do it. That's right. And I mean, you're just a you know, you're less than a hundred years away from something that was so common mm-hmm. being a relic that's talked about, but not seen. That's right. And I mean, spiritually, it's the same thing. If, if we don't teach our kids, then the next generation, they're not going to teach their kids. That's right. And they're not going to teach their kids. They're, so that's right. It's on us to make sure our kids know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's convicting. Okay, so uh, let's move on to Samson. Uh, the last, uh, the last section here of the named judges, um, yep. and it's probably the most one of the more famous stories in all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Samson is the product of a barren couple, dedicated through the Nazarite vow from number six as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, he insists on marrying the enemy despite God's command against such a thing. He fell in love with a Philistine. 
Now yeah. remember, Samson is the judge against the Philistines. Mm. And he falls mm-hmm. in love with a Philistine and wants to marry a Philistine. And, you know, read the story of Samson and Delilah. It's interesting. Because never at any point in the story is Delilah on Samson's side. I mean, realist from the very beginning, like they mm-hmm. get married and she immediately is like, so tell me the secret to your hair uh, or to your strength. Yeah. Tell me what it is. What is it? And then he makes up something and then she has the other Philistines come in and he kills them all. Yeah. Um, you know, and she's doesn't like, she oh, you lied to me. <laughs> doesn't she end up getting them drunk or something? No. Yeah. Yeah. No. She, I yes. mean, she seduces him. She basically has him in her lap or whatever. Okay. She does what hussies do. Oh, can we say hussies? We just did. So we just did twice. So, so at the end, but at the end of the story, the author shows that Samson's true power is not in his hair. That's you know, right. That, that's what he said. You know, that's what he. That may have been what he believed, or that may be in what he right. was told. And Delilah thought that, so she cut mm-hmm. off his hair, and then Samson proved that his hair was not the source of his strength, but the yeah. symbol of his well, strength. It's funny because like there's a lot of times when you when you have this idea of the presence of God or the power of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're gonna have something physical that it relates to. All right. Think about the wandering, pillar of fire, cloud by day. There, there's there's this thing that it it almost attaches to. And and it's not in that, but that is a representation of it. Mm-hmm. And so you you have any time that you if you read through the Samson narratives, any time that Samson kills people or you know he destroys a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey, yeah. um, that kind of thing. If you read those stories, it says, "And the power of God came upon him." So that's when he did it. That the hair was not the power of God. It said the power of God came upon Samson to do something. But it's also worth noting that Samson was incredibly angry at everything yeah and and so samson is really i mean he has this like unadulterated anger that god uses for his glory but it's still there and it's terrible and it's and it's scary and it's bad like and so like the hulk exactly and so you have the story where she cuts off his hair and because she cuts off his hair the power of god doesn't come on him anymore Because that was the representation of the power of God. It wasn't the power of God, but it was the representation of it. Yeah. And then as you read through it, you get to chapter 16, and they bring Samson out as this like showpiece of look at what we conquered. And right in the middle of all of that, then bringing him out, it says, and Samson's hair had begun to grow. Mm. And so it doesn't say that it was long and flowing again. It just says, and Samson's hair had begun to grow. So you see the author painting this, the representation of the power of God is about to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think about like C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia when it says Aslan is on the move. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't always see Aslan, but you know, you hear Aslan is on the move and you know something's coming. Yeah. And so um, the author says, and Samson's hair began to grow. And so that paints this picture of, oh my gosh, his hair's growing. The power of God's coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's and and then it says he basically Samson says it's it's almost like he's he's there and he's had his eyes gouged out and he's standing there and they've chained his wrists to the pillars to basically have him up as a as a mockery as a yeah. as, as a you know look at what we did 
And Samson prays and he says, God, would you come upon me just one more time? Mm -hmm. And it's not about I have my hair and I have my power, but it's Samson admitting, God, I, I need you to just come upon me one more time. And he does. And of course, he he pulls the main structures of the temple down, the Philistine temple, mm-hmm. kills the Philistines that are in the temple. And of course, Samson dies with him as well. But mm-hmm. you see that picture of the reliance on the power of God, not being in something that you've done or something that that you can do, but just a simple faith prayer that says, God, I need your power to come upon me now. Yeah. I can't do this without you. Was did he know that his strength was in God the whole time, or did he believe it was in his hair? I mean, it, there's a part of me that wants to say he believed it was in his hair until the end, mm-hmm. you know, when it was cut off. And and then he realized, you know, well, that wasn't my strength, but it was the dedication that was because that's what the Nazarite vow was, was that you didn't cut your hair and you didn't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the time it was made for just a brief period of time. We talked about that in numbers yeah. and, and it was mm-hmm. a short it's like you dedicate this time and the purpose of this dedication is you want to you want to dedicate this time to God. So instead of doing things that are acceptable by the world and acceptable in society, you segregate out and you say I need to spend this time uh dedicating it to God and and the study of God. And so yeah. that's what the Nazarite vow really was. Samson's parents really kind of forced it on him cuz they dedicated him from as a child. Yeah. And so I mean, maybe there's something to read into that. Maybe there's not um, of parents forcing things onto their children that they they don't have to. Um, but I'm I'm not going to go that far. I'm just going to say it's interesting, but I'm not going to go that far um, and say that, yes, you should or no, you shouldn't. But either way, Samson was dedicated through the Nazarite vow as a child for life. Mm. And, and so, you know, if you ever break that vow and, and, you know, you did the vow to learn and to get the power, you know, it was, it was a way to, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's works, but it was a way to say, I'm dedicating myself to this so that I can be strong and powerful in, in the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was represented through Samson's hair and he was incredibly strong because God gave him that power. Um, but in the end, you see Samson basically admitting that even though his hair is long, he won't have any power unless God comes upon him. Yeah. So he recognizes it's not in his hair and he knows that God has to come upon him to have that power. Yeah. So, Hmm. well, that's Samson. And that really kind of wraps up all of the judges. Um, And, and so at the end of judges, the last four chapters or so, you kind of have this epilogue, where we continue to see just narratives about Israel's degeneracy. Mm -hmm. Um, The spiral continues, and the ending of Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, Mm. And, and, you know, I hear so many people today say that, oh, that's what the world is doing, that's what society is doing. Let's, Let's be very clear here. This was not written about pagan societies. Yeah. This was not written about Israel. This was written about Israel. This is God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. So this is not a warning to a pagan world. This is a warning to the church. And the church needs to start taking warnings like this seriously. Yeah. Because inside of the church, there's a lot of stuff 
where people are doing what was right in their own eyes. And we can mm-hmm. see it today inside the church. Yeah. And so, you know, let let's not let's not isogete this and say, man, the world is becoming is is dedicating itself to relativism and the society is going relative. Let's forget about the world when we're when we're judging things like that. Let's mm-hmm. focus on ourselves. Yeah. What can we do? How can we say better that we're not doing what was right in our own eyes, but we're doing what the word of God has called us to do. Yeah. How, how are we as a church being different than the world around us? Cause we're called to exactly. be in, in the world, not of the world. That's right. We're called to be different and uniquely different. And yeah. we're called to be obviously different. We're not, mm-hmm. we, we shouldn't be walking around like the world six days a week. And just the only thing that's different about us is on Sunday, we have to get up early and go, <laughs> go put on some makeup and go to church. Yeah. Yeah. Go to church and, and do our thing, our Sunday thing like that. Our Sunday thing shouldn't be a Sunday thing. It should be a mm-hmm. all the time thing. Yeah. Um, well, that's convicting, man. Like if, you know, like you said, Israel is getting this warning. Mm-hmm. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's God's, like you said, God's chosen people was doing what was right in their own eyes. They're not relying on God. They're not trusting God. Sure. They're not, remembering the things that God has done for him or for them. And I mean, but how many times do we as believers live that way? Yeah. We, we live Absolutely. our, we, we live our lives. Like God has never done anything for us mm-hmm. or we think, Oh, we got this one. Cause yeah, you know, God's too busy with the big stuff to worry about my little things. Like God yeah. cares about every intimate detail of our lives. Mm-hmm. God cares about if, yeah, if you've had if you've had a flat tire, or if you've got cancer, or if your kids are failing out of school, or if your kids can't pick a school to go to, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever it may be, like God cares about all of those intimate details. Yeah, it matters to God. It should matter to us that it matters to God. Yeah, and I mean, so those details are are important. They're important to God and we're going to see those details play out in the next few books. You know, we're moving next into Ruth. Ruth is like almost the opposite of judges. Yeah. In, in a lot of aspects. Um, and of course, through the story of Ruth, we're going to set up the great grandson of Ruth. Yeah. Who is David. Yeah. A man after God's own heart. One of the, so, uh, one of the heroes of all of scripture. Yeah. In three generations, we go from they're doing what was right in their own eyes to a man after God's own heart. Yeah, that just despite despite his flaws, I would say David's a a, a hero of of all oh, yeah. scripture. Absolutely. So, but yeah, that's where we're going, and uh, we're going to pick up in Ruth next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we hope you tune in for that. We're going to talk about Ruth and Boaz and all the fun stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, Boaz. <laughs> There's a funny story about that. Yes, there is. We'll talk about it next week. Yes. Um, so, Michael, will you pray for us tonight? I would love to. Let's do it. All right. Uh, God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for our discussion tonight as we go through, as we've gone through the book of Judges. Thank you for this book and what it means to um, the entirety of Scripture, the the stories that we can learn from and how we can apply them to our lives. God, how we can uh take from the example of Israel to uh, look at and apply it to our own lives 
when we are um, not faithful to you and are called to repentance and lead and are led into some sort of victory in our lives, God, um, help us not to go right back into that same cycle. Help us to be different from the nation of Israel. Um, God, we know that you are the source of our victory. You are the source of our um, of, of everything we need. And so we just pray that you uh, you remind us of that daily. Help us to remember that. Um, thank you for um, what the study has meant to me, my, to myself personally. I'm sure Anthony would uh, agree with that as well. But um, God, I just pray that you uh, that this study is meaning something to if it's just a single listener of our podcast, God, that is getting something from each of these discussions. God, we are thankful for that. Um, and th- we thank you for that. Um, God, just be with everyone who's listening to this podcast in the coming week. Um, and just help us to be more like you, Jesus. Help us to be um, just so focused on how we can be better followers of you that um, that people around us see something that is different about us. So. Um, God, we love you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us, all you continue to do for us. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if the listeners of the Beers and Bible podcast wanted to find us on social medias, Anthony, where would they do that? They would do that at multiple places. They could do it on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore. They could do it on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. They could do it on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and they can email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us recommendations, problems, questions. How you think we're wrong? How you think we don't uh, know what we're talking about because IPAs are so delicious and wonderful? Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, at me. Come on, let's go. IPAs are gross and I hate them. So onward to the next thing. Uh, <laughs> but until next week we do hope that your beer stays cold and your bible stays open and we will see you later peace out